Hello and welcome to the Pageant Buzz podcast. You are here with your hosts, Kristen and Rebecca. This is a podcast where we talk about glam, glitz, and what life is really like with a crown. This is a podcast for those girls who have inhaled more hairspray than they have oxygen. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pageant Buzz podcast. You are here with your hosts, Rebecca and Kristen, and today we're going to talk about things that you're doing in your prep that are holding you back? Oh, there's so many, so many things. Well, and a lot of them feel very small at the time, which mm-hmm. as time goes on, it just really adds up to Correct. be a much bigger holding you back. So I want to kind of set this up because they are such small things to our bottom of the pyramid version of it okay how do you feel about this well I'm gonna have to wing that then because I'm not (laughs) sure which I think I can probably kind of tell which is worse worse than the other ones but okay so wait is the top of the period the pyramid the worst yes okay 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 all right yeah I think I can do that then okay so to me the like bottom of the pyramid like the, the smallest little thing that you might be doing that's holding you back in your pageant prep. I'll go first and then I want you to say one, okay? Okay. I think it is not practicing in your shoes and your wardrobe early enough. That's what I was going to say. But yes, okay. I okay, a thousand good. percent agree. Okay. Let's talk about that a little bit more. I think really what it just does is, oh, well, one, it makes you look better in your shoes, no matter what. The more you practice in them, the better you're going to be able to not have to focus on the actual steps you're taking, but focus on your facial expressions, your hand placement, movements, things like that. If they're more second nature, you're going to look more confident. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, that's really what it does. And you're not thinking in the back of your mind, oh my gosh, am I going to step on that? on my dress. Am I going to, I've stepped on my toe before somehow. Like I've stepped on my own toe when I'm trying. Oh my goodness. Well, like when I've been practicing my turns, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Like putting your toe down and then like it, like slipping underneath the shoe somehow. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So along those same lines, when you're talking about like you can focus on your facial expressions and your body language more because you're more comfortable in the wardrobe and your shoes, you're also not going to be in pain from breaking in these shoes if you've already broken them in. Mm -hmm. That is something I feel like women and girls underestimate. If you wait to break in your shoes until the weekend of the pageant, your feet are not going to like you. If you think, oh, I'll just get these new shoes a week before and I'll just start wearing them two days before and expect to go on stage in these brand new shoes that have pretty much never been worn, your feet are not going to be your friend. They are not going to thank you. You're going to have blisters most likely because these shoes are not broken in and your feet will hurt. Also, Mm -hmm. the bottoms of them are probably going to be really slippery because they're not scuffed up. Like there's some pageant hacks about scuffing up the bottom of your shoes when you're walking on a stage because that stage is typically really slippery. 
and you are going to want to have the bottoms of your shoes a little scuffed up. If you haven't done that ahead of time, that's setting yourself up to fall, just to be quite honest with everyone here. There are a lot of things you need to have done before you get on the stage in your shoes that if you're waiting too long to start on that, that can really just not be a good idea. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. So while it is a small thing, it is something that can be holding you back. Yeah. So I guess another one that's, I don't know, I feel like they all hold you back. Okay. But I think one maybe that's not as bad because some people will sign up for a pageant pretty when it's right around the corner, but it's just Mm -hmm. waiting too long to start prepping, even though you know you're doing it, you're already signed up and then you still wait to start your prep. Yes. Waiting too long to start your preparations. Mm -hmm. Um, So I want to dive into this a little bit. So I think I've probably told the story. I feel like I tell it every day because typically it's like part of my introduction when I meet a new client is my first year that I did Mrs. Oklahoma in 2015. I entered that pageant eight weeks before the date of the competition. That's the day I entered. And that is the day I started preparing eight weeks before the day of crowning. I had no time. But that day I entered is the day I started and I went all in that day. There was no waiting Mm -hmm. because I knew I had no time. But I entered Mrs. Oklahoma International about a year before that competition. And I started preparing that day, a year Mm -hmm. before. So I had two completely different experiences with those two competitions. And I think there were benefits and there were some negatives to having eight weeks and having a year. When I had that year, there were moments that I got in my head. There were moments that I let myself get in that comparison mode or that over analysis paralysis, where I started thinking too hard about little things that didn't matter. And I should have stayed more focused where in that eight week time, I didn't have that because I knew every single day counted and I only had eight weeks every day, I had to stay focused on what I was doing, plus balance all the other things in my life, right? Mm -hmm. So I think you've got to find that balance for you, you've got to know your personality. And you have to know, how much time is this going to take me realistically to achieve my goal? And working to me, which I know we're going to talk about this again, but working with a coach or a set of coaches to help you establish that timeline setting up, okay, I need to get a headshot. I need to book hair and makeup. I need to get my wardrobe together, hit my health and wellness goals, whatever those things are, getting that timeline set up and making sure you are hitting those goals on those milestones will make sure you're not waiting too long to start. And you're not hitting that panic mode three weeks before of, oh, I don't have anything done. Mm-hmm. Well, and that, I mean, even if it is, if you're, if you kind of do hit that panic mode and you're a few months out, that is the nice thing about a coach too, that they will kind of ground you a little bit and say, okay, this is what we're going to do on this timeline because otherwise it will feel so overwhelming. Yes. Like it, you, it, they, they can help you like reassess and be like, you, you're, you're fine. You know, we've got your paperwork done everything is on, we are on time. You may feel overwhelmed, but looking at this holistically, you're not behind. But also 
just not hiring a coach in general just makes it harder on you. And I know that is an added expense, but I would rather get a less expensive wardrobe in order to be able to have a coach. You know what I mean? Like I would rather cut from other areas in order Mm -hmm. to have somebody help me through it. Yes. And I know we've done episodes on where to budget and where to spend your money in your pageant preparations. I know we've talked about that before. For me, if I'm going to compete again, there's really two places that I'm going to spend that investment. It's on professional hair and makeup for the competition and coaching. To me, those are two places I don't want to cut costs. And if you have to pick one of those places to cut costs, I would say take professional hair and makeup lessons in advance and do your own hair and makeup. But I cannot stress enough not to cut the coaching budget. Mm-hmm. It's just something you're never going to be able to replace the valuable lessons that you learn in coaching. It applies to so much more than just your pageant. It applies to so many different areas of your life. And if you hire the right coach for you, which there is a right coach for everyone and you will find them, then they're going to be able to benefit you in a lot of different aspects of your life, not just your pageant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially if you're newer to pageantry, they will accelerate your knowledge in the system and the competition like you wouldn't believe. Go I remember ahead. having all these questions like when I first mm-hmm. started and I didn't know who to ask. And I'm like, well, my directors really aren't like into us bothering them, which understandably. So I'm like, but who do I ask if like this is appropriate or who do I ask, you know, on how I handle this? It's just all these things that you think of that you have questions about that it ultimately will kill your confidence. And that's part of why you and I started this podcast is we wanted to be able to answer a lot of those questions that I think most contestants have. But also, I think there are still a lot of questions that we can't answer specifics on because it's so individual for different systems and so individual for different states and individual for different pageants. You know, Mm -hmm. every single director, every single system, every single year is a little bit different. Everything changes. So there's still going to be questions that even though you and I try to talk really candidly and openly about what to expect and what it's like, there's going to be things that only really your coach can tell you. And having someone to ask that to and not be embarrassed about asking, I have asked coaches some really crazy questions before. And the best thing I can ever like tell a client when I'm coaching is there are no dumb questions. You can ask me anything. I will like, I've had people ask me questions like, is butt glue a real thing? You know, like they really want to know sometimes, is that even real? Or is that like an urban legend? And I'm like, no, it's real. It's a real thing. You, you don't have to use it, but it is a real thing. And I've had clients ask me questions like, okay, can I show you this rehearsal look and you tell me if you like it or not? Absolutely. Like I will, their coaches are there to help you at every aspect of the competition for the most part, if, if they are open to that, not all coaches do every aspect of pageantry, but most do. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, even just down to, I remember we had a red swimsuit one year and I just remember Christine telling me, okay, we need to practice putting this glue on and okay, you're going to let it dry for a little bit because otherwise it's going to go right through that wet, that red swimsuit. And it's going to look like you have a wet mark. Like she just knew these things. Yes. Because after doing patterns for a long time, which most coaches have done, we learn these things and you don't want to put it like that, that butt glue right on, then adhere your swimsuit. Just like with eyelash glue, you let it dry for a little while and then you adhere the swimsuit. There's just little tri- tips and tricks like that. Mm-hmm. All right. I have a cup. I have, a, this is going to be hard. I definitely know my top of the pyramid. I feel like everything else can be like right in the middle. Okay. Let's What's go on to the middle for then? like in the middle. Okay. Middle of the pyramid for me is the content that you are surrounding yourself with social media content, what you're listening to, what you're reading, what you're watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's huge. I it's- think there's, I think it's middle for me because it can help you or it can hurt you. Yeah. It's, and you don't notice it until you cut it out how maybe it is affecting your mood or affecting some of or just even affecting the way you speak to other people affecting the way you speak to yourself like if you're absorbing a lot of real housewives or a lot of really toxic reality shows showing toxic relationships then Unfortunately, it probably is absorbing into you a little more than you think. And then when you cut it out, you kind of start to realize, oh, like I'm probably being a better person in general because of this. So for me, I don't find though like shows that I'm watching as much like of a trigger for me as I do social media that I'm absorbing. That's Mm -hmm. where for me, my number one mental health triggers are. I have to, and I know I've said this before here on the podcast, but if you're new, I have to mute or unfollow a lot of people on my social media feed. And it is not their fault. They're not doing anything wrong. They're just being themselves. But it is to find there's something in whatever I see that I find to be a trigger for my own mental health. And I just need to take a break from that content. Maybe I find myself comparing myself to them, or I find it something that isn't good for where my brain goes. And I just need to mute it or unfollow it completely, especially if I don't actually know that person, I just unfollow them. But if they are a friend, they don't know they're like triggering something in me. So I just mute it for a while. You can, Mm -hmm. there's like a take a break feature, or you can just mute it. And that has been a game changer for my mental health. I'm a person that's an Enneagram three. I struggle with comparison and I need to just do that very often. And they, it's fine. They don't know. They don't care. They There's no trigger that they get that says, Rebecca Wheeler has not liked your post in seven months. They don't know. <laughs> they, they're still getting plenty of interactions and you know things on their posts. It's not personal. It is something I cannot absorb right now because I find that their life right now looks so great and so wonderful and mine maybe isn't right now and I can't 
see what they're they're doing because I'm comparing myself and I need to just take a break. And that is fine. Since I've started doing that, I have found that I find a lot more joy in my own life since I've done that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I And I can scroll sometimes and see other people I'm competing against, but I'm definitely not one to like stop. And it's almost just like they just like kind of fly by if I am scrolling once. I know once I get closer to the competition, I just won't even scroll at all just because I feel mm-hmm. like I, I kind of just take a social media detox and I can post and then just not interact. Unfortunately, that probably means all my USOA sister queens think I hate them. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I promise to like everybody's stuff after and I'm sure everybody's doing really fun things, but I definitely don't interact too much. There's also something that I have found when I'm in competition mode, which I'm not right now, but when I am, that I don't ever want to be copying or doing something I see someone else doing. I find myself being a lot more creative when I'm not following a lot of people I'm competing against. Oh, because totally. I Everything's ever, an original thought. Yes. So I don't ever want to be following a lot of people in my that I'm competing against and then not even on purpose, but because I saw six people post something really similar in an idea, then it comes in my head and I'm like, well, I should do that. I would much rather have every single post and thing I'm talking about on social media truly be from my heart, from my own thoughts and my own what I want to be sharing and putting out versus like, inspired by or kind of a copy of something else I saw Mm -hmm. I would and I'm that I'm not saying I see it but I know because that's just how social media works that's how trends become a trend right we see oh that's so cute that's so fun I want to do something like that and it's not a bad thing at all but I like to have really like creative original ideas so that helps me be more creative is just not following anybody that I'm competing against and making sure everything I post is my own. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I know. Because sometimes you don't even realize that you might be like quote unquote copying or being inspired by somebody else. And then it kind of does, I don't know. Sometimes it does even come off like, oh, like she just totally ripped off what that right. other girl did. And it was not intentional. You didn't even realize that you had seen it seven hours earlier. And then when you were trying to come up with a post you're it just like pops in your head because you had seen it you didn't even think about oh I saw this girl post it it just was in the back of your mind you didn't even know that you were thinking of that you know Mm -hmm. okay Okay. what else is middle of the pyramid for you Mm, I'm looking at two that I'm like in between okay focusing on the wrong things I'll say that one Mm -hmm. like it's great if you're focused there are certain areas to focus on But I know you know this. Some people focus way too much on wardrobe, for instance, and not focusing on what their why is so that they can really clearly convey that in the interview. And that's where a lot of people's interviews go to die. Oh, I not even just the why, but focusing on winning and not focusing on how they're going to win or why they want to win, right? 
Like I have had so many clients that I'm working with and we are doing a check-in like how are, how's your homework coming along? Did you get these things done? Oh, I didn't have time. Well, what, what, what have you been working on? Well, I've been shopping. Well, did you, did you find anything? Well, no, but I found a lot of things that I like. Well, so you didn't even accomplish anything. You didn't even actually like buy anything or find any outfits. You just spent a lot of time scrolling is what it sounds like to me. And what I asked you to do for your homework was to do these interview prep specific homework assignments that you didn't do because those things were hard and they make you push yourself a little bit internally. And so instead you did what was fun and the fashion part, right? And Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of times that we do in our prep, what's the easier part. If you're naturally a person who loves to work out, maybe you just spend a lot of time in the gym and you decide I'm going to do, I'm just going to prep so hard and have my body just looking at the best it's ever looked. But then you forget that that's only usually uh, 25%, maybe 33% of your total score. And the whole rest of your competition, you forgot to work on. There's not very many pageants out there that you win based on who spends the most time in the gym. Mm -hmm. Most pageants are a holistic view of who had the best interview, the best stage presence, and overall most well-rounded contestant. Mm -hmm. Yes, I know. And that is, I mean, it is hard. It's self-discipline. Like, you know where you need to put work into, and if you don't do it, then it is going to show, and it's going to make you, again, not as confident, because if you, if I walk into interview, and I know why I want to win, and I know what I'm going to do, and I have a plan for that, like, there's all these little checkmark things that Mm -hmm. basically anything else they ask you, just answer honestly, like, kind of it just talk to them about who you are but make sure you have these core details really nailed in so that when they say like oh well tell me about yourself or when they say well why should we pick you you're not sitting there like uh you're in the headlights <laughs> right totally and that's the worst feeling ever and interview is typically always first and then you feel awful the rest of the time cuz you're like oh my gosh i bombed my interview mhm I looked really good yes. doing it, but I bombed. <laughs> I know I had I had the most amazing outfit, but I forgot to work on what to say. Mm-hmm. And like really having like a good understanding of it. Mm-hmm. And okay, it's and that- kind of interesting that I think putting all this together, like it all just all it's really all kind of tying back to the same thing, but it's it's little things along the way, right? Okay, what's your next thing? Alcohol. Mm-hmm. I and and I listen like I get it spicy margaritas are my favorite like I if I could go every single weekend to get a spicy margarita and a chicken quesadilla and chips and queso oh yes I'm down for that I love a spicy margarita and Mexican food but I also know if I have a spicy margarita then I'm probably not going to eat that great 
from then on out for the rest of the day. And then I also know maybe the next day I'm not going to eat very good and I might not feel as motivated to do things that I need to do. And it just is this trickle effect that basically eats up a couple days sometimes. So to me, that is really just not being consistent in your prep, not being consistent in your mental health, your physical health, and your overall goals. That's where that ties into me. It's just not being consistent. No. And pageant prep can be hard on you mentally. And alcohol is a depressant. It's not Mm -hmm. going to make you feel good. There is alcohol, it has zero benefits. And I know people like to argue the benefits of, you know, like a very dry red wine or whatever, but that is in such a small dose that it wouldn't necessarily give you an awful effect, but alcohol is in and of itself a poison. And I like it too. Mm -hmm. I'm not knocking it. Like I love wine and spicy marks, but it really gives you zero benefits in your pageant prep. Right. And when you're talking about these goals that you have for yourself, just setting intentional goals about here's what I want to do. And this is the sacrifices that I'm going to make to get there. I oftentimes am really upset at the end of a pageant when I see somebody eating like this giant meal and pizza and like gorging on all these foods that they haven't let themselves have during their preparation because I don't feel like you have to go on these like insane crash diets during your like your preparation for your pageant I think that's terrible I do not believe in that I think there is a complete healthy way to live your life where you're always living in a way that it is maintainable to step on stage there is a difference between a few weeks before maybe what you want to be doing it, but you don't have to live in this unrealistic way to compete at all. And so I do not like those, like eat all the things, do all the things, eat an entire cake, eat an entire pizza. Like I don't like that at all. And I think living in a really balanced way, your entire preparation and being really consistent in that is going to help you reach those goals. Well, yeah, and just consistency in your workouts. That's another thing that we had kind of talked about is just don't put yourself in a position where you're going to fail. If you don't work out, do not all of a sudden say, well, I'm going to do two workouts a day. I'm going to do cardio in the morning and then I'm going to lift weights. That's not realistic and you're not going to be consistent with it. And it's one of those things where, well, maybe you just focus on getting your steps in for the day. Right. Something that will Let's not go from, yeah, from never, like ever doing anything active to signing up to do like six Orange Theory classes a week. Like Mm -hmm. be really realistic and and honest about how you're going to do this. Like very realistic that you can stick to it and work into this, your into your life, because you're not going to continue with it. If all of a sudden you say, I'm going to do six orange theory classes a week. Well, two weeks later, you're going to not going to, you're not going to keep going most likely. Mm -hmm. And you will have this like 
up, down, up, down, which is not going to be good for your mental health either, because then you're going to want to punish yourself. And you're like, oh, mm-hmm. I should have been doing this. I should have been doing that. It's like, no, you should have picked something that you knew you could do. And then as you get used to that and you want to ramp it up a little bit, one one piece of advice somebody gave me a long time ago was don't change two things at once. So mm-hmm. if you have a terrible diet, maybe change that first, then incorporate exercise or incorporate exercise and get consistent with it and then start to incorporate a healthier diet, which again is why prepping ahead of time will allow you to make these life changes that aren't so drastic that you're going to abandon them after two weeks. Right. And then we've all seen the women and I have been one of them that have come off stage and had like this crazy rebound that doesn't and so the there's no lasting effects of all that work that went into the preparation because Mm -hmm. you can't maintain it it's unrealistic but I've also been on the other side where I finished competition and I looked exactly the same for the next two years so it's Mm -hmm. all about how you prep and doing it in a really maintainable way well, here's another thing too, because sometimes you hear the people that are like, well, I did this and I did that. And it's like, you have to really, really hold yourself accountable and be able to look in the mirror and say to yourself, okay, I know I did not do what I was supposed to do. I know I went out with my girlfriends last night. And when I did my workout this morning, I just didn't even try because I didn't feel great because I ate a bunch of junk and I had a bunch of spicy marks. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And just knowing that that, what kind of effect that has on you and knowing like, well, I wanted to do this and I kind of did it, but I didn't do what I was supposed to do. Correct. And it's hard. Or it's not what I was supposed to do. It's what I said I would do. It's what I committed to do. Because the only person telling you what you're supposed to do or not is yourself. What did you commit to do? Did you commit to enter this and do your best? If that's, that's your commitment, then don't let yourself down. You made this commitment to you. The only person you're going to let down is yourself. You're not like, you're not letting down anybody but you. So set that expectation to yourself that you're going to look back at the end of the competition and have no regrets. You're, you're going to look back and say, I know I gave this everything I could. I did everything I could have done to do my best. And no matter if you win or you place or whatever you end up with as your results, you will have no regrets because you did your best, but you never want to look back and say, if only I would have started preparing earlier, if only I would have mentally been more present and not filled my mind with the wrong, you know, information and the wrong content. If only I would have practiced more in my shoes. If only I would have not had all those days that I took off because I was, making fun choices instead of the choices that were best for me. That's what you don't want to have. And here's another thing too. Like some people it's, you know what? They're like, I just want to do a pageant to do a pageant. And that is 
totally fine if they it's like I don't want to change anything that I'm doing. I like I like my life how it is. I like what I'm doing and I just want to like try a pageant. That's totally fine. But it's the people that are like no, like I want to show up as my absolute best and in order for me to do that, I need to do these things and then if they don't do it, that's when they look back and like wow, like I really wish I would have done all these things. I can't tell you how many times I've had women and girls reach out to me after their competition and say, here's how I did, here's how I placed, or, you know, here's where the competition results were. What should I do differently? And I always put the question back on them because if, especially when they weren't working with me, right. For that first pageant or the last one, I say, well, what do you think you should have done differently? What, what did you, where did you feel that your area of, of competition was the strongest and where do you feel like it was the weakest? And they'll tell me. And then I say, okay, for that area that you felt was the strongest, what did you do in your preparation? Mm-hmm. And what, for the area that was the strong, the weakest, what were you not doing in your comp, in your prep? And then we just go backwards. And if they tell me, well, my weakest area of competition was interview. Well, how much time did you put in practicing for interview? leading up to the pageant. Well, I didn't really practice at all. Well, then that's probably why you didn't do so well in interview. Like we just go backwards. And then we say, so for this time, if you want to compete again, that's where we need to focus in more because clearly that's where you didn't put in the focus. But that doesn't mean we stop focusing on the other areas. It just means now we need to add in more focus on this area. So Mm -hmm. always just kind of Think back if you, if this is not your first pageant, think back on, okay, last time I didn't do great here. Why? Why did that happen? And just go backwards. And where did you not put in the effort? Where did you not put in your all? And this time around, do it different. If you just keep repeating it and doing it the exact same, you're not going to have a different result. Ooh, I have a personal question for you. Okay. Have you ever had a client where you kind of, you, you follow up with them after the pageant you just, I know you like to talk to everybody after the pageant, just kind of help them decompress and work out their thoughts and everything like that, because everyone handles winning or losing or, or whatever differently. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had somebody that's just like, I just don't get it. I yes. was perfection. <laughs> yes. Which, and they may have been, I don't know, or if they're like, well, I worked harder than anybody else, or you know where I'm going with this. And you either know one that, uh no, you did not do everything you should have been doing, or two, they really, really couldn't have done anything different. Yes, to all of that. Okay. So there are, there are times that you do everything you could have done. And when you leave and you have that feeling of, I truly gave it my all, there is nothing I could have done differently. And maybe you placed top 15 and you didn't make the top five, top six, or you were first runner up, or you didn't place at all, but you know, you did everything you could have done, but you typically leave the competition and you are a little sad because you didn't win. But you have this peace knowing 
that you really did everything you could have done. And that is what we try to talk about in those conversations of that feeling of peace that you have, of you know that there is truly nothing you could have changed. There's nothing you could have done different. Pageants are so subjective. And let's talk about the wins you did have. You had your personal best interview you've ever had. You had your personal best onstage performance you've ever had. You walked away with these new friendships. You walked away doing this, um, what we always set goals that have nothing to do with placing or winning. And so we go through those goals. Did you accomplish those goals that had nothing to do with winning or placing? Almost always they do. They did. Did you reach these platform goals that you had set for yourself? They almost always did. So at even without a crown, you still win to me. And we go through that. And it takes some time to process through the grief of not winning because it is hard. But that is where I think for those clients, there is still a lot of joy in the competition. Mm-hmm. But for those clients who they didn't, do everything and they don't have that piece of knowing they really did give it their all, but they still come to me and they're like, well, I just don't understand. I was the best. I usually have to give them a little bit of a challenge and say, okay, but you're telling me you did your best and you were the best, but you came to me five weeks before the competition. And that was the first time you had started working with any coach do you think maybe had you started preparing six months before things would have been differently? Had you gotten your wardrobe altered? Could things have been differently? Could, could things have turned out different because your gown wasn't altered at all. And so it technically didn't fit you right. Um, Your interview outfit wasn't altered. And so it really didn't fit you properly. Like we kind of go through some of those things. You had only been practicing interview for a couple of weeks in general you never did a mock with me. You practiced on your own, you know, a couple of weeks, but you never actually ran a full mock with me because we only worked together for five weeks. And we just kind of talked through some of that. And I try to put it into, into perspective of maybe what I saw that they could do better or do differently. And mm-hmm. it's hard. It's a hard conversation usually because I don't like pointing out things that they could have done differently. But if they're coming to me asking, I will tell them. Now, I will say, and and now this happens to everyone. I don't know of a single pet person that has won a pageant that didn't have some sort of adversity in either their prep or the pageant day, like a shoe breaking or, um, you know, like they busted a zipper or and they're getting so or their dr- earring back flies off as right back backstage right before they walk out. Yeah, something. Yeah. Or like, oh my gosh, I had a gallon of water, my giant water jug that that was like the flipping cutest. And I got out of my car right before I was going in for the day, like not being able to leave. And it shattered in the parking lot. And I had no water. And that was like my biggest thing. I wanted so much water. and But you cannot also blame that type of thing. Well, oh my gosh, like the, the flipping air conditioning went out and or I had no water or it because everybody's dealing with something. Correct. And you cannot blame that type of stuff because I promise you something happened 
It was horrible. Yeah. Horrible hair and makeup, horrible, whatever. It doesn't matter. Something happened. So that's like another thing to keep in mind is you have to be able to adapt very quickly and you'll be able to do that if you prepped properly. Not Mm -hmm. that I'm like on my high horse or anything. I'm just, it made me think of that. Right. So finishing this out, top of the pyramid, the number one thing, the number one mistake I see people doing and you see people doing in prepping for their pageant wrong. Mm -hmm. What is it? What is your number one top of the pyramid thing you're seeing when you're preparing that's maybe wrong? Hanging out and spending time with the wrong type of people. And I have a lot of friends that I definitely don't hang out with as much when I am prepping for a pageant, not because they're bad people, not because, you know, I I don't care about them, but our values are going to become very different during this time. And I think sometimes they find it very difficult to understand mm-hmm. and I kind of become like the not as fun friend. <laughs> I mean, just being totally frank because it's like, yeah, I'm not going to go grab dinner in the middle of the week and be up late when I have to get up at 4.30 in the morning because I made a commitment to myself that I was going to work out and mm-hmm. that's the only time I can do it. Like that type I- of stuff. Like you're you're not going to be as much fun. And yeah, like, sorry, I'm not going to go to this party. I have, I, I made other commitments to myself. I think your focus just changes and it typically lasts longer than just the pageant. It's, it usually changes your perspective on a lot of things afterwards as well, mm-hmm. um, because you have a lot of personal growth during that time. And so your friendships do change usually through prep and after and you find a different circle of people who have similar goals and similar interests and also want to improve themselves and also want to do better and change the world around them and inspire like inspire you in a different way and that's who you start to kind of gravitate towards more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you and your circle gets a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. And I think it depends on the friends, but sometimes a lot of them take it very personally. Like, oh, mm-hmm. well, you're no fun anymore. You don't do this. You don't do that. And it's like, well, I I don't have time to do that right now. And you kind of reprioritize where you are spending your time. Yeah, I think you're, you're – um priorities, especially if you're a mom and married, really just shift to your immediate family, like your family, your extended family, potentially, if they're supportive, especially. And if they're not, it may change a little bit during that time. Um, During your prep time, if your extended family isn't super supportive of your pageant, you may not spend as much time with them during your prep because you don't want to hear a lot of negativity about this and why you're doing it, that's okay. Um, But if they are really excited for you, then that's great. But if they're not really like on board with it, 
it's okay to not spend as much time with those people during this preparation time. Mm-hmm. And it can feel like you're missing out at first, you know, like you're just like, man, like I, I feel like I'm not hanging out with anybody. I feel, but no, you are, you're making time for the people that are important and that are supporting you and aren't going to make you feel like you're missing out. For me, my top of the pyramid is similar, but just a little bit different. It is too many cooks in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is too many opinions and voices telling you how to do what you're preparing for. And this does not mean coaches. This is just too many people telling you what they think you should be doing. Whether those are former title holders, um, current title holders, people who've done a pageant before, people who think they know about pageants, just too many voices. I have I have been um, part of this happening. I've been someone that this has happened to with too many too many cooks in the kitchen in my prep. And I had to cut my circle a little smaller during that time because I was getting too, I was getting too many opinions about everything. And it was making me question my own opinion, like my own gut. You know, I, at one point had bought like five different evening gowns for a pageant because every time I would get a gown, I would show it to people and everyone would hate it. So then I would hate it because everyone else hated it. Instead of just going with my gut and asking a coach, going with that, I would show all these friends who had been in my pageant circle like multiple different groups of those friends and then they all had different opinions and none of them liked it and if one of them said something about how they didn't like it then everyone else would jump on board what they didn't like it and so then if I I got didn't get buy-in from people then I didn't like it Mm -hmm. well I instead of just going with my gut listening to me my gut my coach and going with it ended up changing gowns so many times selling all those gowns was such a disaster. One of my most difficult preps I'd ever gone through. And I didn't win that pageant at all. I I placed, but I didn't win. And I really feel like had I just gone into that whole preparation, really focused on myself and who I was and not trying to fit what everyone was telling me to do, I would have had a lot more successful preparation. But Mm -hmm. I listened to, to way too many people. I had way too many different types of groups of friends who were all pageant people, but they were not, they were all trying to make me into what they thought this title was. And they weren't really looking at it as a coach would of what would be your best Rebecca. They were all just trying to help me be the next Mrs. Title. Mm -hmm. And that, that really didn't work. So I learned a lot during that time before I ever started coaching. And in hindsight, I just wish I would have hired a coach way sooner and listened to that person and myself and my own gut and not Mm -hmm. listen to all those voices because I I spent a whole lot of money that I wouldn't have ever spent buying all these different outfits, buying all these different gowns. I think I, I don't even know if I've ever shared this. I think I had eight different interview outfits for that pageant. The one I ended up wearing is my least favorite interview outfit I've ever worn. The gown I ended up wearing, I did love, and no one liked it. Only I did. My coach hated it. Everyone hated it. I loved it. I didn't care. I was going to wear it. 
because I loved it. And after I had bought all those other gowns that everyone hated, I just wanted to wear something I felt great in. <laughs> so oh my gosh. it was a disaster of a wardrobe year, but I, I didn't like what I wore for interview. I didn't feel like myself. I had a good interview, but I didn't feel like myself in the interview room because I wasn't wearing something that felt like me. It was something someone else had chosen for me. And I just walked in and I felt very um, confident in my words, but I didn't feel like the look that I had reflected the words I was saying. So it just didn't connect all the same, like the, it didn't connect. Like I was wearing this outfit that just didn't connect with the words I was saying. And my, I did get my scores back for that pageant and I, my scores were excellent. I actually had perfect tens in interview that year, but I didn't feel like the judges connected to me, even though my scores were so good because of the look didn't match my personality. And I wish in hindsight, I just had gone with my gut and just not listened to everyone else. Mm -hmm. I know it is hard. I didn't even show Matt my dress. He had no idea what I was going to walk out in. Just the because I was like, yeah, the blue one, just because I was like, you know what? I, I got your opinion and I got Christine's opinion. And that was it. <laughs> I didn't ask anybody else. You didn't need anybody else's opinions like, again, because that's where I feel like you, when you get too many opinions, you start to doubt your own gut and you just don't feel like you are, you, all you hear backstage is, did I, am I going with the right dress? Am I, is this the right choice? Instead of walking confidently and yes, this is, this is what I want to be crowned in. But if there are those uh, members of your, uh, what do you call it? Not external family. What is it called? Like your more distant family? Extended family? No, I don't know. You know, Maybe it is your, distant family. like your relatives who might not be as supportive about this. Maybe those are things that you just have to put on a little bit of a distance and boundary set up during that time. Or if you have like, I don't know, like a weekly lunch. I don't know. See, I I keep my circle small to begin with. So I, and I'm also an eight and I tend to be very black and white. So if somebody's kind of not being supportive in something that I've expressed a lot of passion for, I don't have a problem like pulling away and being like, well, I'm just not going to hang out with you anymore. <laughs> right. So. I was just thinking more like don't abandon your your children and your husband or your spouse. Like don't do that. But if you're like, let's say like your aunt isn't super excited about this. And every time you're around her, she's saying something really negative about it and almost making fun of it or talking kind of badly about it, talking down about it well, you don't really need to spend time with her for the next few months. Mm -hmm. Or, That's what or if thinking. you do, it doesn't have to be a topic of conversation. That's why right. you have a coach because that's who right. you should be talking to about it. Yes. This is not the time to show your aunt your wardrobe. She, Why does she get an opinion on it? She doesn't. She's not paying for it most likely, so she doesn't get an opinion on it. That's what I would tell you as your coach. Mm-hmm. Are you ready to give me a Chris's question? I am. Are you excited? Mm, yes. Okay. Here's your question of the week. If you were to design a pageant 
flag for our pageant, Mrs. Pageant Podcast, or Mrs. Pageant Buzz Podcast, sorry, what would our flag look like? It would be all pink, and then it would have gold embellishments, like a metallic gold embellishment, like a giant queen bee on the front of the pink flag. I don't think it would fly very well, though, because I would definitely rhinestone it out. So we might have to like (laughs) frame it or something. Like I don't see it waving in the wind very well, but that's how I would design it. I love it. So pink embellished gold with rhinestones, bee flag. Yes, the giant, like the giant queen bee, like we have on our on our podcast page. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I've ever seen a rhinestone flag, but I am excited to see this vision come to life. It, our flag would have to fly in like a hurricane, I think, in order for it to fly in the wind. Sorry, <laughs> I'm not sure I can give you a score on this question and answer session, but thank you for answering. I was just thinking that. I was like, I wonder how she how she's grading this right now. Well, you did answer the question, but you never really gave me why. So if I were to give you feedback on your answer, I was, I didn't specifically ask you the why part. But mm-hmm. anytime somebody asks you a question like, if you were to design a flag for this pageant, they're expecting you to explain why. Okay. Yeah, that, I probably should have gone into it definitely why, but that was the first thing that popped into my head. Right. Like explain a little bit of why, like because the B symbolizes this. And even though this flag wouldn't be able to fly, the B scientifically cannot fly either, but somehow it's a miracle of nature that the B can fly and our flag would be a miracle of nature too. I think that's a great answer. So like adding that on would have really elevated the answer. And made it not a funny answer, but like an actual answer of substance. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Okay. You can find us at Pageant Buzz Pod on Instagram. And as Rebecca always says, don't forget to sparkle. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pageant Buzz Podcast. You are here with your hosts, Rebecca and Kristen, and we have... Mrs. America here today, Regina Stock. Welcome to the show. Hi, I'm very excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you here. I was there in Vegas when you got crowned. So excited to see it. And now we're getting to talk to you live on the pod. I can't wait. We have so many questions. (laughs) Well, and I just, I know we're, we have a video going right now, but in case somebody doesn't see the video, I need you all to know that Mrs. America has shown up crown, sash, feathers, the pageant swoop, full glam. She looks phenomenal. Rebecca and I are like, oh man. Yeah. I look like a windblown hot mess straight out of truly the windblown plains in Oklahoma. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I wanted to wear something festive for Valentine's Day today. Well, you look amazing. Yes, I love it. Well, why don't we just kind of, I want to know kind of just your pageant journey. Where did you start? How did you get involved? And then kind of how that led to where you are now? Okay, so I first did a pageant when I was like 18 or 19 years old. It was the local Miss Permian Basin pageant. And I always tell people pageants are one of those things when you do your first one, either you love it or you hate it. And I loved it. (laughs) I was obsessed with the glam with being on stage. And so 
for about four or five years, I would win the little local titles here, and then I would go compete on the Texas USA. And then whenever I had my son, I stopped because at that time you couldn't have kids and you couldn't be married to compete in the USA system. And so that's when I stepped away from pageantry altogether. And then like three years ago, my best friend told me about the Mrs. America system. She's like, hey, you know, this is for married women. This is for moms. You would be perfect. And I was just like, oh, okay. And I considered it for three years. And then last year, I finally, I like paid my entry fee. And I was like, okay, well, now I have to do it. I can't back out. And it was my first year with the system. And I came back because I was a totally different person from who I was back when I competed as an 18-year-old. You know, I had kids now. I'm married. Totally different person. And so I came back to help find myself outside of being a mom and outside of being a wife. And I expected this to be a year of just learning the system. And that's obviously not what happened. <laughs> Instead, you won Mrs. Texas, one of the most competitive states on your first try, won Mrs. America, second Mrs. Pageant you'd ever done, top six at Mrs. World. I mean, what a journey you've had over the past few months, not to mention battling cancer, having a major surgery, a million other things on top of it. So I think it's been a bit of a whirlwind. Absolutely. Yeah. This year has been nothing like I expected it to be. It's been one of the best of my life and also one of the worst. It's been a, an entire roller coaster. So let's back it up to Mrs. Texas. So I am also a Christ queen from the Tracy Christ organization. So <laughs> I know a lot about how she runs her organization and how amazing her pageant is. Tell me a little bit about competing at Mrs. Texas and how that was, that experience, and then winning that title. So Mrs. Texas, like I said, I went into it like, let me just learn the system and then I'll come back and really go at it next year. And I think what that did is it took all the pressure off of me. And I was like, let me just shoot for like top 15. And from there, we'll see what happens. And so um, that took, like I said, it took a lot of the pressure off of me. And then for the first time ever, I hired a pageant coach and I worked with Brooklyn because um, I had followed her journey whenever I first learned about the system. And so she helped me, kind of taught me the ins and outs about interview because every system is different, you know. And so she really got me prepared for interview because that used to be the thing that I was so terrified of. And she's like, it's just a conversation. This is how it's broken down. It's just questions off your bio. And pageant week was just, or week, it was only like three days, but it was a lot of fun. And I didn't put any pressure on myself. And it was, it was a good experience. It was very different from competing as a miss because everybody's married, everybody's mature. There's not, it's like these women are all cheering each other on. You want everybody to win. And it's not like catty, nobody is the competitive but not in like a negative way you know what I mean so you win Mrs. Texas even though like you said you're like I didn't even aim to do that but it just happened which you know we talk about that actually a lot it's just when you don't put so much pressure on yourself you probably can perform at your very best so that was probably yeah. very helpful for you to actually show up as your best self but then you actually went on to win Mrs. America so I, what was the mindset from Texas to America? Were you doing the same thing? Like, oh, I'm just going to have fun. Or what <laughs> happened with that? No, after winning Mrs. Texas, I was like, oh, we, we did that. Like, and so my mindset completely shifted from Mrs. America. I was like, okay, now I'm going to give it all I have. I want to win this. Um, and the biggest change was once you win Mrs. Texas, our official sponsor was Austin Williams. 
was a former Mrs. Texas and a former Mrs. America. And so that was my first time working with her. And she, she won't admit it, but she is the reason I won Mrs. America. <laughs> her coaching doesn't revolve around pageantry. It revolves more around life coaching. And it was more like therapeutic for me. So when I first went into Mrs. Texas, my platform was postpartum depression and finding myself outside of being a mother. And, you know, working with Austin, I realized that while that's something that I'm passionate about, that's not what it was for me. It just, I was passionate about it, but I'm like, there's something more. That's not it. And working with her, like we went through my past and I had a very abusive and a very traumatic childhood and Austin's the first person ever to have called me out and have and told me that I was masking um we went through boot camp and we do all these interviews with all these different people and the feedback I kept getting was we need more depth they're like you're there you're almost there but we need some depth to you and I'm like I don't know what else they want from me I was like I'm giving you everything and Austin was like you have a mask on she's like you're smiling you have on a pretty face she's like but there's so much more going on behind there and through everything, we figured out that I was masking. I was showing people what I thought they wanted to see. So I was being the pageant girl that I thought people wanted, what I thought a pageant girl should be. Because in my past, I was expected to deal with chaos at home and go out into the world and act like everything's fine. And so I carried that into my adult life. And that's when my platform changed and it became unmask and live full so you can leave empty. And so that was just life-changing for me, not even just like with pageants, but my mindset on life, it changed like my relationships for the better. It just made me a better person. And so we were working like three times a week together, like the month leading up to Mrs. America. And I was working out twice a day and I was just focused solely on that. Totally different from my approach to Mrs. Texas, but switching that platform to something that I was passionate about, switching it to something that I live my life by, that's what made the difference. I went into Mrs. America for the first time in my life, confident with who I was, knowing what my purpose was, and for the first time, loving myself and being okay taking up space as a woman I am. And so it was just life-changing for me. Well, I can verify that Austin is a life-changing person. When she talks to you and has those conversations with you, she just sees something different that we don't see in ourselves so many times. So I love hearing that story and how inspiring that is, that it is okay, first of all, to change your platform. And it is okay to do that after you win your state title for nationals. That's fine. You it, Because when you're finding that thing that you're really called to be doing and called to talk about, then you need to pursue it. And you shouldn't have those second thoughts about that. I get asked a lot, like, can I change my platform? I've been doing this for so long. Yes, you can. It's so much easier when it's something you're passionate about because then you can talk about it all day left and right. Mm -hmm. And it's not trying because it just like exudes from you, right? You're going into Mrs. America and bound and determined that you are going to show up your best self so that if you're what they're looking for that year, they're definitely going to pick you. How was all week? I know it's exhausting. I know it's a long 10 days. (laughs) I, I need to know like ins and outs. And if you have any tea, like what happened while you were there? Um, I was very lucky. I had an amazing roommate. So Mrs. New York, Chloe Rosin was my roommate and we got along so well. Um, so that definitely helped my experience. And she's like a social media girl. And I know nothing about that. Let me tell you guys, she taught me so much that we can help me on that aspect of it. But 
for Mrs. America, we had a lot more downtime than we did during Mrs. World Week, just because there's three pageants happening at the same time. So it's a lot of rehearsals, but I just like enjoyed every minute of it. And I was soaking it all in. It was a lot of fun. And um, I can't say that I really have any tea or anything. <laughs> I was too busy soaking it all up, um, learning my angles with my roommate. There was like one point the night before interview, um, we were just trying to unwind because the interview was the next day. We we're like, okay, we've been having all this fun competition starts tomorrow. And we were scrolling through the channels trying to find the office because we're both big office fanatics. And I remember when we finally found it, we both screamed all excited. <laughs> and we watched the office and we went to bed that night. Okay, so you get up, you go to interview. But can we I mean, like, just really quick back up before we get to interview, can we talk a little bit about your wardrobe throughout Mrs. America Week? And what was your favorite thing that you wore outside of competition wardrobe? Let me think about that. I haven't really looked back at my pictures. So I had no idea how high fashion pageant week would be. I was just like, I was here in my sheen clothes. And I'm like, oh my goodness, these girls look phenomenal. <laughs> um, I'm to my favorite thing was I wore, I think it's a gown I wore for dignitary dinner. It was like that maroon and nude with that little cape thing on it. It's actually Austin's gown. But the gown I was going to originally wore, the zipper like tore, there was a tear or something in it. And um, one of the girls that was next door to me is a Miss Oklahoma. She's like, hey, I have one of Austin, Austin's gowns. Let me just talk to her. And she's like, yeah, you can use it. And that ended up being my favorite gown I wore all week long. Oh, wow. Well, that is one of the powers of having great sister queens is people that are like, hey, you can borrow this. And I that's like one of the best parts about a sisterhood for sure. Can you describe your interview outfit and kind of how you chose it? I feel like it can be either a really fun experience or it can be very, very stressful. Rebecca's smiling because yeah. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> so for Mrs. America, Tracy actually sponsors a, us from her boutique, the All Things Crowned Official. So she is the one who picks our interview outfits. She'll pull a few during boot camp and be like, go try these on and let me see. And I knew for sure I wanted color because I love wearing color. I didn't want to do white. I didn't want to do black. And she's like, hey, I have this hot pink for us. So I was like, perfect. And so that ended up being my favorite one. So it took a lot of the stress off of me. Tracy laid out options and was like, here you go. Which one would you like? So that's how I ended up with my gown for, or my interview offer for Mrs. America. So oh, I, I didn't realize that. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I didn't realize that. Rebecca, was did you did you do that too? No, it's a little bit different. My year back in 2015, um, we had an interview sponsor that was a different wardrobe sponsor. I had Trejo Lee as my interview sponsor for both Texas and Oklahoma back then. And so they sponsored both our gown and our interview in 2015. Oh, okay. But it's changed over time. Mm -hmm. So now, since you brought up a gown... Was that a very similar experience where your director kind of was like, okay, I kind of like this on you. And then you had a little input or did you just have to go gown shopping and you decided what you wanted? What was that process like? So I have terrible luck with evening gowns. I don't know what it is, but I actually ordered a custom gown from overseas and I had told them I needed it two weeks before I actually did just in case I didn't get it in time. And I ended up not getting it. They never sent it. And so I'm here two weeks before I'm supposed to fly out from Vegas. And I'm like, okay, Tracy, it's time to panic. I was like, my gown's not coming. The day I was supposed to have it, they had barely pinned it on the mannequin. And they sent me a video. 
And I was like, there's no way I'm going to get this in time. And so Tracy was like, okay, we got to go gown shopping. And the official sponsor from Mrs. Texas is Shimmer Boutique. So we went there and Larissa was like, I have this um, already pulled for you. She's very good at picking gowns. And so I wore the gown that she had. And after the fact, I know now it was a miracle that nobody else had the same gown because so many girls are like, I had that gown in this color. I, I tried that gown on or I brought it as a backup. A lot of girls had looked at that same evening gown. So that gown that you went in was not your original choice from like the get-go, but yet it ended up being like the yeah. gown. How yeah. amazing. What a fun story. Yes. I always tell people, I'm like, at the end of the day, and I know too, like, it's not about the gown. It's about how you carry yourself in it. And so I just have to remember that because when you see the picture of like the top 15 up on stage, I feel like my gown is like the simplest one up there because everybody was stoned head to toe. And so yeah, at the end of the day, it's not about the gown, but that's the love. Now I that have. you're Mrs. America, I don't know how much you've like studied the history of the system, but if you look historically at all of the Mrs. America winners, almost all of them are honestly in pretty simple gowns. Really? Yes. Like over the past 20 years, the gowns that really end up winning are almost always the more simple of the top 15. It's pretty interesting. And I feel like it is something about, it's about the way you walk in the gown and you carrying the gown versus this over the top ornate elaborate gown that's $30,000. No one cares what the price tag is. They care about you in the dress. So I completely agree. Yes. You win Mrs. America. What was the first thing you did? Pride. And then- <laughs> <laughs> I did. It was, it was so much during the week, there was actually a documentary crew following us around the entire time. And so after I had one and I was on stage, it was such a, a beautiful moment. Once I went back and watched the video, my roommate is up on the risers behind me. And when they called my name, she's just jumping up and down and cheering. And like afterwards we had like the cameras in our faces. It was a lot. Um, the first thing I tried to do was find my family right after I could get through everybody's find them and my husband was just like crying he was so excited um he, he loves being a pageant husband our entire families were there it was it was a great feeling it was and then after that we all went to the Elvis suite for the after party so you get to go home as Mrs. America and I mean in Mrs. Pageant land that's like the high of all highs at that <laughs> especially at that time of year what yeah. happened when you got home and you ended up I know you had posted that you were diagnosed with cancer. What happened from the time that you had gotten home until that point? Yes. So we got home and like I said, we were on this high, even before we left Vegas, because we drove back. My face was all we saw on Facebook for like three days. We were from a very small town and I was all over the news and my family would just send me stuff like, Hey, did you see this? Did you see this? Everybody was just on this high. And I was doing interviews left and right. And making appearances and then a month later almost to the day that I was crowned I think it was like two days before I ended up in the ER and that's when a doctor told me you have a 14 centimeter mass on your left kidney and so I went from this high of having just one Mrs. America to now this new low of oh my goodness I may have cancer and so Mm -hmm. it was I had whiplash I had a whiplash I told my husband I said I can't believe this is happening now and I just can't believe this is happening at all. I'm like, I'm 27 years old. What do you mean I have kidney cancer? What do you mean I have a 14 centimeter mass that 
I couldn't even feel, I had no symptoms. I'm like, I've had two kids and this was never taught. Like I was just, I was shocked. And not to mention in the back of your mind, you have to be thinking, I have Mrs. World in a few months. Like all of this is probably weighing on you. Like, I'm, am I going to have to go through chemo? What is the prognosis going to be? Do I have to delay going to Mrs. World? What does this all look like? I cannot imagine the conversations you were having internally with yourself and with your husband of what does this mean for our family? What does this mean for this position and title that I have? Like, I cannot imagine all of those things and thought process you went through. And what was so amazing as a spectator and pageant fan is I don't feel like it let you slow down in any way. You were still out there in your community, making appearances, doing things as Mrs. America, being so visible, so active, promoting your brand, talking about your platform. Like you didn't stop. How did you do it? So I always tell people that everything that's happened over the last year since I won Mrs. Texas was just like divine timing. I truly, truly believe I was meant to win Mrs. Texas to meet Austin. And for us to go through that emotional and that mental growth and for me to develop my new platform and that mindset, because had that not happened, my cancer journey would have been so much more difficult. But Austin, we would still stay in touch during then and we would FaceTime and stuff. And I would tell her, I'm like, this has to be happening. I told her, I was like, there has to be a reason this is happening. I was like, there has to be a reason that I just don't know yet that's bigger than myself. And like you were saying, like, I had so many questions, so many what ifs. And that was the most difficult part is waiting for doctor's appointments, especially in bigger cities. It took months. It wasn't until a month after I first found out in the ER that I had my appointment with an actual surgeon. And so I had an entire month of just what if. And so, like I said, having that mindset shift really, really helped me get through it. And I can't imagine how much more difficult that would have been if I wouldn't have worked with Austin. Well, I will tell you, watching it all on the other side, not ever having met you before, it, just as a Mrs. America, I couldn't have ever imagined a better example of resilience and tenacity and not letting any kind of adversity stop you. It was really inspiring as somebody yeah. who was watching that journey. I was just watching this thinking like, I cannot imagine taking care of kids, being Mrs. America, just normal pageant prep, trying to get ready for Mrs. World, but then also going through all of that on top of it. And you were so active and so visible, which we have had a lot of national title holders. I'm not saying like in one specific system, just in general, who you don't really see a whole lot of after they win. And you are not that. And that was so refreshing and so awesome to see. And so I just want to commend you. Thank you. Gonna make me cry. <laughs> but no, seriously, like I was I was getting it from many, many clients and many people I know of like she is out there crushing it. What an amazing Mrs. America Regina is. Like, do you know her? And I would just have to be like, no, I don't, but I love her. She's awesome. I just I don't know her. I'm I'm sorry I don't because she seems so amazing. So I'm so excited to talk to you now so I can say I do know you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was it was one of those things where I was like, okay, I can either sit here for a month until my next doctor's appointment and be miserable and just wallow in pity, or I can just keep doing what I'm doing. And so my husband, I said, I don't care if I have to wear flats. I said, I'm going to be at Mrs. World. I said, as soon as I get in with that surgeon, we're gonna, I said, we're gonna get the ball rolling. And 
I was calling the hospital. My husband was, my mother-in-law, my aunt. They were like, hey, we, we got to get this girl in. Like, come on, this is Mrs. America. <laughs> they were on it. But I remember for my appointment when I met my surgeon, he was like, okay. He's like, well, we can just have surgery. We can get this taken out. He was telling me since it's so big, he's like, we can't do robotic surgery. He said, so this will have to be an open surgery. He's like, normally that means your recovery is a bit rougher. And I was like, that's fine. I said, so I said, I have to be at Mrs. World in January. I said, I'm Mrs. America. How long does surgery take and how long is recovery? And I told him, I said, because at the end of the day, like, I'm not going to be stubborn. If I can't make it and I know I can't make it there, I wanted to give California, Miss, uh, Mrs. California, enough time to prepare because it's a marathon. It's a, it's a lot of prep. And I don't want to be selfish and hold out till last minute. And um, he was like, well, he's like, you're going to have a really big scar across your stomach. And I said, we wear one piece swimsuit. That is fine. I said, I just need to know if I can be there. And he's like, well, he's like, we're normally booked out two months in advance for surgery. And that would have put my surgery in December. And so my, my heart kind of dropped. I was like, okay. And he's like, in your recovery, he's like, you can't live more than a gallon of milk for six weeks after surgery. And he was like, let me sit down at the end of the day. Let me look at my books and see what I've got. And before the end of the day, he had me booked for November 1st, which put my six weeks, like halfway through December, cleared one month before Mrs. World. I was like, okay, we're going to do this. Wow. Definitely divine timing. So selfless of you and sweet of you to like think of it in that way and say like, no, I'm not going to be selfish. That is really, really sweet and a really sweet story. Thank you. Yeah. Shelby is a Chris girl as well. So we did boot camp together and that's when I really got to know her. And so I know she, she would have loved to have been there. And so I was like, I got to make sure I make it fair to the both of us. Okay, so you had the surgery, you get through, you are clear to go to Mrs. World, you go to Mrs. World. What was that experience like compared to or not compared to Mrs. America? Was it different? Was it similar? You said the schedule was different, but what else? Yeah, so it was different. So we had a lot more rehearsals. I think we started out with like three rehearsals a day since we were the only pageant. The women were incredible and getting to hear everybody's languages and accents was amazing and to hear all their stories. It was very different for me because for Mrs. America, I was like, live full, take up space, you know, be yourself. And this time I went into it with, I am so grateful to be here. And I was just soaking in every minute of it, every minute of everything and just not taking anything for granted. So it was a different mind shift for me, but my platform just was, it's like, I was like, let's live full and leave empty. And the universe was like, let's put that to the test. Let's see, let's see if you're actually doing that. And so it was very different for me. I was very emotional the whole week. I really was. I, um, I don't know if it's on video, if you can see it, but whenever I was called for the top six, I was standing up there and there, the hosts were kind of talking. I was just like fighting back here. But I like eventually go and wipe my eyes. Cause I was like, everything that's happened the last few months has led to this moment right here. I mean, I just got chills just now when you were talking about it, because it reminded me of when, you know, you're walking across stage and, you know, you're talking about how you were grateful to be there, but you were just down a kidney basically. <laughs> and it was just <laughs> yeah. like, the, I mean, but it was, it was so well said. I'm sure that was how you had written it. And it was, I was like, man, like she, she did it. Like she's there. Well, yeah, and, and that's when that's when it like all came into focus for me was right there when I was called for toxic. I was like, oh my goodness, we we did it. That's all I could think. 
So we had um, our new Mrs. World on the podcast a few weeks ago, Julia, and she was kind of saying that moment from top 15 to that top six just was like a blur. Did it sort of feel that same way for you where you were now all of a sudden answering a question on stage, like out of, it almost felt like out of nowhere. Did it go that quick for you where you felt like, is this really top six question? Yes, absolutely. And it was the same thing at Mrs. America. Once top 15 starts, it's just like, boom, boom, boom. And then it's done. That's so why I tell people, I'm like, it's such a blur and it just flies by. It's like from top 15 on, you're just like sitting there waiting, hoping your name is called. Like you're, that's what you're going for is for your name to just keep being called. And yeah, it flew by and all of a sudden I'm just, I, and so during evening gown, I don't know if you saw during top 15, I kind of like slipped on the front of my gown. And when I walked off stage, I was like, oh no, there goes my shot at top six. So when they called me, I was like, oh my goodness. Okay. Like we're still in this. So I, I was surprised to be in top six, to be honest with you. Well, I did not notice you tripping on your gown. I was just too busy looking at how awesome the blue ombre was because I loved that you wore a color. I had only seen you compete in white before at both state and national. So I was super excited to see you in that color. I thought it was really cool. Um, I didn't notice any kind of tripping. So I thought you looked beautiful. I want to know who made your dress. So my gown was a Tarani couture gown. And that is also not the gown that I had originally picked to wear on stage. You do yes. have terrible gown luck. I know. That's what I'm telling you. It just, so that's what I always tell my husband. I'm like, well, if things go smoothly with the gown that I'm not meant to win. And no, I had a gown. It's actually the one I wore for dignitary dinner at Albina Dila or is it Dila gown? It was like oh, a period yeah. with the cape. Yeah. Originally, that was supposed to be my stage gown. But what had happened is whenever I got to Vegas throughout the week, you lose weight from all the walking around the hotel and whatnot. And the gown was really big on me. It was originally a corset and we had a zipper put into it and it was literally falling off me. And so Tracy helped me out and she was like, I'm going to have Tarani send us some gowns and we'll see. And so that was her favorite. And a lot of other people's that was their favorite is the blue one I ended up wearing. No, kind of iffy. I was like, man, I really like my gown. I'm, I'm so bummed. For once, I was going to have the gown that I really loved. I was really upset about it. And I ended up going with the blue one. And the only reason I got to wear that other one for dinner is because my mother-in-law went and sewed it by hand in the lobby at the Westgate. She did. She went and she took it down there and she called me. She's like, okay, I'm done. You can come down and grab it. And so that's why I ended up wearing it that night for dinner. Oh, well, I did love, love, love that dress. So I'm glad you got to wear it. But now that I'm thinking about it, I would have loved to see that on stage just to see what yeah. it looked like in the, under the stage lights. Yes. Yeah, me too. Man. Well, maybe whenever you give up your crown, which is still a long, 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 long ways away, you can finally have your dream moment of wearing your actual dress <laughs> you intended to wear on stage. <laughs> yes, yes. Hopefully, fingers crossed. <laughs> is there a date yet for Mrs. America? Not that I've heard of. I'm assuming it's okay. sometime in August again, but I don't know about it. Well, let's not rush your giving up the title anytime <laughs> soon because I'm, I'm not sure ready. You, yeah, you got a lot planned, I bet. Let's hear a little bit about some of your plans for 2024. What's on your calendar? Yes. So originally after I won Mrs. America, I was hoping to have my business open before the end of the year. And I feel like the beginning of my reign and my business journey were hijacked by my cancer journey. So I feel like after everything's calmed down since Mrs. World, I'm just now starting. 
And so I'm a paramedical tattoo artist. So I camouflage scars, stretch marks, and then eventually I'll be able to reconstruct areolas. And so my cancer journey has also just like brought me closer to this business. Originally, I got into it because it's something that can help other people feel good about themselves. But now I have a scar, like eight to nine inch scar across my abdomen, you know, that I'll be able to camouflage once it's healed enough. And it's called InkRx Paramedical Tattoo Company. And so now I can work again towards getting that open and focus on my business um, and helping other people with it. And I have appearances and stuff that I had to like cancel on during my surgery and stuff. And so now I've been able to reconnect with those people and get back out there again. Is there one dream appearance or goal that you really want to accomplish? I don't think there's like one in particular now that I'm able to do my inspirational speaking and just like my life story is able to help in that. I just want to be able to get out there and speak to as many people as I can and tell my story. And I have one coming up next month. It's called the She Can Women's Conference. And so I'm super excited to get back out. That'll be my first time speaking since my surgery or after my surgery. So I'm very excited for that. Now that you're kind of coming down on the other side of things and you can start really like embracing being Mrs. America and doing all the things and whatnot, will you be selling any of your outfits? (laughs) (laughs) I know my husband wished I would have done it sooner because I'm running out of closet space over here. But yes, yes, absolutely. I need, I need to clear out some wardrobe. (laughs) We live in a very small town, so we don't get dressed up for very, very many things. If it's not pageant related or appearance wise, like I am hardly ever dressed up like this. So I will be for sure. Okay, so Regina, everyone will be doing a pageant closet clean out at some point during her reign. Well, and you're going to want to refresh probably a few things because when you go back, you're going to be there for the entire week for Mrs. America with 50 women who want to do exactly what you're doing right now. What would be something that you could tell them just a little piece of advice or just something that can kind of help them in their pageant journey? the thing that I think most people always hear is be yourself. You know, what is that? What does that really mean? You know, you hear it all the time. And that's where with my unmasking journey, like I learned what it truly meant. Don't be what you think a pageant girl supposed to be or what you see in movies and be who you genuinely are. There is no, there is no such thing as a perfect pageant girl. A pageant girl is whoever joins a pageant and competes. (laughs) That's what an ideal pageant girl is. You know, there's, and the other thing, one of the quotes that I love, my favorite quote is, you are most powerfully positioned to, be, you are most powerfully positioned to serve the person you once were. And I think some people that are not in pageantry forget that as title holders, that's what we do, we serve. So when you find that platform, that niche that's for you, something that you're passionate about, that you can talk about all day and you can not just talk about it, but be about it, that is the platform for you. Um, find that because it makes your pageant journey and like, especially interview, not so difficult. It comes naturally when you get to find that platform, your why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's, it's hard sometimes though, to try to be yourself when you feel like someone's judging you. So kind of like you said, it's what people always say, but you have to do the work before the pageant to make sure that you can actually embrace who you really are and be okay with it. And that's probably the hardest part of pageant prep. It's not all the workouts. It's not all the wardrobe. 
it's all that inner work you have to do and kind of like digging deep and figuring out all that stuff. That's the hardest part, but that's the part that makes the other side so much easier and so worth it. And that's the growth out of pageantry that you always hear people talking about. Yes, Austin called it heart work. Mm-hmm. Heart work. And so, yes, heart work, that was by far the most difficult thing I've ever had to do. And, but I am so grateful for it. I, there's nothing I could ever do to repay Austin for the way he has changed my life for the best. Well, I love that. So, Regina, we have a segment on the show called Chris's Question because Rebecca over the years has just become like our momager, honestly. Like, she's like our little Chris Jenner. She has a wig and sunglasses, does an impression. If you ever get the chance to see it, take her up on it because it's wild and kind of scary. But we're, our, our segment is our Chris's question where she kind of gives a practice interview question. Normally, I have to answer and then she tells me if I either did good or bad. But since you're here, I, I would like for you to answer Chris's question if you're up for it. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So you represent Texas and America, but if you had to represent a different state or a different country, now that you've met so many different women, what state or country would you want to represent and why? That's hard because I am born and raised here. I am Texan all day. There's countries I would like to visit, but to be honest with you, I would stick with this country. I don't feel like I could do another country justice because I haven't experienced enough of other cultures and other traditions and those countries to do them justice. And I would hate to be a disservice to them and not represent them well. I applaud that answer. I think that was an excellent answer. You're doing amazing, sweetie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was actually going to see another state, but now I'm sitting here thinking like, man, that might be kind of genius to not like put any attention on another state. I'm probably thinking way too much into it. I feel like you answered it like the way you probably are like supposed to answer it. And I'm sitting here like, well, heck, I'd be from Tennessee and I'd go live in Dolly Parton's basement. And you might get arrested for stalking. Oh, probably. Definitely would happen. But, you know, that's so that was like my thought process with it. But you answered it very well. I like the way you answered it. Well, that's why she's Mrs. America and we're not. Well, yeah, valid. Okay, I totally get that. Regina, where can our listeners follow your journey, your personal, your Mrs. America accounts, anywhere that you're posting stuff? Yes, so I'm on Facebook, on Instagram. The official Mrs. America Presents is at Mrs. America Presents. You can follow me on there. I also tag my personal Instagram, which is at the Regina Stock. And then on Facebook, I'm Regina Stock. And then Mrs. America Presents also on Facebook. So I post everything on there. You can follow us at Pageant Buzz Pod on Instagram. And as Rebecca always says, don't forget to sparkle.